0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Good afternoon. Almost. Good morning. Uh, My name is Ian, the pastor at City Church, and we're starting a series this week called Tensions. We're going to look at the reality of the fact that since we are people living in a world that spiritually is not our home. That physically, yes, we live here, our address is here, but spiritually we're told that our citizenship is in heaven, that we're going to have some tensions in life as we're trying to live for Jesus in a world that should be a foreign world to us as believers. Uh, Before I pray, I just want to remind everybody here today, I told 8.30 and 10 o'clock this, I was just thinking about this on the way here this morning, how amazing it is that every single person in this room, every single person matters to God. Every single one of you. Like you matter to God. And as your pastor, my hope is that since you matter to God, that God will matter to you. That you matter to God, and since, God, since you matter to God, that God will matter to you. We're told that we love him because he first loved us. So that's why we talk about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us every week, no matter what the topic is. So we believe we need to return to that over and over again, remind ourselves exactly what God thinks of us. And what he's done for us in his love to reconcile us to himself. So you might not feel like you matter anywhere else right now. But you matter to God. You might matter in all kinds of places and feel really good about that. But how much greater than the fact that you matter to God. So because of that, let, that, let him matter to you. Let's pray together and we'll jump in. Our Father, we are so thankful for that. That you love us. That the creator of the universe loves us. That we matter to you. That we are so loved by you that you sent your only son to die on a cross Die a death that we deserve because our rebellion against you, that rather than punishing us as our sins deserve, that Christ, the perfect one, stood in our place. So we're thankful that we are not condemned in Christ, that Christ was condemned for us. Lord, and I ask that in his resurrection, that we will worship him and anticipate a future resurrection for ourselves, and we will be with you for all eternity. I ask you to speak through me this morning, uh, that what we hear from the scriptures and the tensions we're trying to resolve as believers, that it will lead us to understand more of who you are, what you call us to be as your people and that you keep the enemy out of this place. We know the enemy is real, that Jesus acknowledged the enemy is real, and the enemy does not like the church flourishing in Tallahassee. So we ask the enemy stays away, and you be with every church in our community as we gather today. Let us all proclaim Jesus and walk out these doors afterwards, following Christ into the world. We thank you for your love for us, and we're grateful for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first tension we're going to look at is the idea of ambition. Ambition. What does God think about us being ambitious? Does God want us to be successful? Like, is us being ambitious for the things in this life and the things of this world, does that matter to him? Is it a big deal to us? Because living in a world that rewards ambition, like our world does, while claiming a faith that points us away from ourselves, can really cause a tension if we're being honest about the things of God. I mean, our culture, our society, really does reward ambition. Every year when a high school graduate goes off into the next phase of life, you know, you're told God has great things for you. Seize the day. Go get it. You have unlimited potential. Ambition is a really big deal in our society. We take pride in being driven in our ambition, the drive to be successful. Or we have some shame or a little bit of guilt that we aren't driven. So kind of two sides of the camp there. And ambition now has become its own industry. It's like a cultural phenomena in our society. Hustle culture is a thing on social media. You're going to crush 2024 if you do these 12 steps and subscribe to this Substack, this podcast. You know, what makes this interesting and can cause some tension for us is that Jesus wasn't one that, by today's standards and understandings, we would actually call driven or ambitious. It might sound strange at first. Notice I said by today's definitions of our current American society, Jesus would not be someone who was leading hustle culture podcasts. Rather, though, he operated out of the fact that he was called. He was called. Jesus was called to the work his father gave him. He was called to give his life for his sheep. He was called to glorify the father with his life. Ultimately, he was called to redeem his bride. He was called to die. And what's interesting to me as I study the life of Christ, and this actually ministers to me here in this day and age, the majority of what Jesus gave himself for and gave himself to would not be realized during his time on earth. It would actually come later. Think about that. The majority of what Jesus gave his time and gave his life to would not be realized during his life on earth yet he lived with purpose and he lived with passion so as followers of Christ what should we think about ambition is ambition a bad word i read earlier someone talk about a watermelon watermelon is a great fruit reminds you of summer and like americana it tastes like nothing randomly but we love watermelon It's just one of those things, seedless, please, is my preference. That's probably like fake watermelon, I'm not sure. But people love watermelon. A watermelon is meant to be eaten around family, at the table, outside in the backyard, during a cookout. What if we take a watermelon and play soccer with it? If you have any kind of strength in your foot whatsoever, what's going to happen to that watermelon? It's going to explode and blow up everywhere. It's not the watermelon that's the problem. Is that the watermelon was taken out of its context and used in the wrong place, as crazy as playing soccer with a watermelon sounds. That's what's happened with ambition. See, ambition and the drive to be successful, those aren't bad things. But in our climate today, much ambition is tied to being something, having something, showing something, and proving something. Being, having, showing, proving. So, it's not ambition that's bad, it's what ambition can do to us, what it makes us become, and what becomes the ultimate goal of us being driven and desired to be successful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we'll start today. And Paul is writing to a very man centered culture that's happening in the Corinth church in chapters 2 and 3. He's trying to push them away from a man-centered faith that was very much about self-glory and the right kind of identities with people and leaders, a tribal kind of identities, people receiving their worth from being associated with different, different men, different leaders. And Paul writes this to them. He says, a person should think of us in this way. Remember the whole ambition part right now. It's being, having, showing, proving. That's all for an audience who wants to be watching now, audiences don't go away. He says, since they're here and people are watching and paying attention, here's how they should think of us as servants of Christ, as people who serve Jesus and managers of the mysteries of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God gave us a mystery of how he was going to redeem his people. It hinted towards the coming of the Messiah. He promised the coming of the Messiah. We weren't exactly sure how it was all going to come about. It was the mysteries of God. And then when a baby occupied the manger in Bethlehem, the mystery of God was revealed. That this Messiah would go and give his life to redeem God's people once and for all through his death and resurrection. Those are the mysteries of God. Now, all believers are managers of that. We carry that truth, we carry that good news. So we could say that a person should think of us as called, one, to God's family, to a life with Jesus as his servants, and also to his church, to his mission as managers of the mysteries of God. He's saying that's what should drive us to be seen a certain way, in this light. In this regard, it's required that managers be found faithful, God is telling us, through the Apostle Paul, his big dream, his calling upon our lives that we be found faithful. Then he says, this is of little importance to me, that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, as in what they think and what you think, and even ultimately what I think about me is not the most important thing. What matters the most is what God thinks about me, and that should fuel my self-worth, It should fuel how I handle the opinions of others. If I want to be a servant of God and a manager of the mystery of God, part of his family and part of his mission, then it's going to be hindered by me constantly being aware to the point of my ambition being what you think I'm becoming, what I need to prove to you, what you think about me, and if I'm measuring up to your standards and the standards of this world. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. He says, Jesus is my justification. He is the one who has made me not guilty in the eyes of God because he became guilty for me. Anyone in this room who's a believer and has a past of painful, we all have a past of sin and even a present of still, still sinning. But let's say you have kind of a painful, embarrassing, like life-wrecking history our time with sin in your life. Here's the reality. In Christ, God does not see you that way. He sees you as someone who has been justified, declared not guilty, made right with him. And he goes, it's the Lord who judges me. That's the most important thing. Now, people saying that God judges me is almost like a defense mechanism today. God's the one who judges me, not you. It's the adult version of you're not the boss of me. You know, like when you're seven years old, you tell a kid on the playground, you're not the boss of me, tell your older siblings, you're not the boss of me. Even tell the parents, you're not the boss of me. It's like, actually, I am, and you want to pay rent, or you can move out, one of the two things, even though you're seven. I'm the boss. He says, the Lord who judges me, rather than that being a defense claim, that should scare the everlasting crap out of us, that God is the one who judges us, unless the verdict has already been declared as a Christian in Christ, and you were declared to be not guilty. So we're no longer fearful of the judgment of God. We have a healthy fear of God, but the judgment of God over our lives has already been a verdict and it is not guilty because Jesus was guilty in our place. Paul's reminding them of this, that the judgment of those out there don't matter because the one true judge is happy with us. He approves of us because he approves of his son who never sinned and always did the will of God. So don't judge anything prematurely. There's a bigger picture he's saying before the Lord comes, then it will all make sense of all the things that God is doing in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Because he says here, who he will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness, as in God cares about the truth, he cares about what's going on inside of us, he cares about our motives, and reveals the intentions of the heart. Notice it doesn't say when he comes back and looks at our resumes of how successful we were, and what we achieved, and what your kids went on to accomplish he goes, no, God cares about the heart. And then he lands a plane. Praise will come to each one from God, as in what God thinks about us and God's approval of us has to be the most important thing. And when we realize that, guess what it allows us to do? It allows us to be free to be ambitious for the things in our lives that we believe that we're gifted to be or wired to be, it allows us freedom to do that because we're not finding our worth in those things. We're not, pl- we're not taking watermelon and playing soccer with it. We're using watermelon to do what watermelon was meant to do, be food. In other words, we're using ambition for what it was meant to do, bring glory and honor to God and not ourselves. Here's a great prayer in Psalm 119, and as I read it, I'd love for it to be a prayer for you, that you kind of pray it in your own heart as I read it. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. And by worthless, it's basically anything that has an expiration date. Humans, we have a soul, we do not have an expiration date. We have an expiration date here on earth, but Christ's resurrection ensures ours. So ultimately, I want to turn my eyes to things of eternal significance, and that frees me to pay attention and be faithful to the things of this earth It may not be eternal, but I'm called to be faithful to them here and now. Gordon MacDonald, an author, wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World. I'm going to use some of that a little bit here this morning, on and off with some points here, uh, from one of the chapters in the book, where he writes about the difference between being called and being driven. Remember, Jesus would not pass the test for being driven by hustle culture of today, but he was absolutely called. And all of us what we share in common as Christians is we have been called to two different things. I'm reiterating myself just so we land to make sure we're clear here. That we're called to God and his family through Christ, and we're called to be a part of his mission. So no matter what you do for a living, no matter where you are in your life phase, retired, elementary school, stay-at-home mom, engineer, nurse on a hospital floor, third-grade teacher, work in the Capitol, whatever it could be, every single person in this room is called. Now, it may not be called to the exact, you might not feel called to the exact vocation that you're working right now, or the exact life phase you're in right now, but here's what's freeing. I don't see anywhere here in the Bible where it talks about a call to be a nurse or a call to be a school teacher or a call to be in politics or a call to be a mental health counselor or a call to be a photographer. And that doesn't mean you might go, well, that's not true. I, I'm, I do feel called to teach. That's the only reason why I do it. Hello, they don't pay us very much. You're like, right? like I, I, do, I do feel, like, have you looked around? <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard right now to be a teacher. But I do feel called to it. I'm, I'm not saying that you're not that. What I'm saying is how God views calling for us is the same for somebody working downtown as it is for a stay-at-home mom, as it does for a retired grandparent, as it does for a 17-year-old, as it does, this is really important, for a Christian in poverty in a third-world country that doesn't even have electricity, and for a Christian that's in jail right now for their faith in a closed the gospel country. It's all the same. We're called to Christ, and we're called to his mission and God, by his sovereignty, allows us for those callings to be played out in the real world by letting us use our gifts and our passions and our desires and our life situations or our opportunities or simply just the need to earn a paycheck for your family. But none of it's mundane. So we need to see ourselves as called rather than employed. And by called, it doesn't mean you wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, I love going to work in the morning. That's not what we're talking about. It means there's a greater purpose than just trying to get a pension or just to pay the bills. Even though the scriptures call us to provide for our families, it's a call to give glory to God as part of His family and part of His mission. So, what's a driven person? Different than called. A driven person in our American culture in this day and age is most often gratified only by accomplishment. Only by accomplishment. Am I measuring my value as a person, ask this question to yourself, based on my latest project, my latest commission, my latest sale, my latest outcomes? my latest wins, my latest differences I'm making, how do I measure myself? Do I have to have those things happening regularly in order to find fulfillment as a person and ultimately as a child of God? Notice it doesn't say that we should not be driven and shouldn't care about commissions and sales and winning at work. He's not saying those things are bad. He's saying that they're out of order and I have to have those things in order to find worth and value in my life than I'm kicking watermelon on a soccer field. The next thing is a driven person is preoccupied with the symbols of accomplishment. Not preoccupied with the things of God, rather the symbols of accomplishment. You might ask this question, do I continually obsess over my social media presence, the likes that I'm getting on my posts? Do I feel a need to be recognized by my peers that are in my workplace or my industry? And he's not saying that we shouldn't want encouragement. We all look for encouragement, but am I finding worth and being recognized like, do I need these symbols of accomplishment in order to be fulfilled in my life? And the third one is, a driven person is usually caught in the constant pursuit of more. That's what drives them. Just more and more and more. Am I moving things forward so I can say that we're moving things forward? And not just moving things forward because you want to, you know, increase your income or you want to move forward in work or head towards retirement or secure your family more. You're not talking about those things. It's, do I always had to be moving forward just so I can say I'm moving forward? Rather than asking the question, is this the Holy Spirit-led, wise, healthy, and next step for my life, my family, and most importantly, the kingdom of God? That those are the decisions I'm making rather than just moving forward for the sake of moving forward. So our church is just over 16 years old. Uh, we started with tw- 20-ish people in my parents' living room uh, back in the summer of 2007. And it took almost 16 years for us to get to the point, about 15 years, where we unveiled our Let's Go vision. Now we could have justified doing Let's Go several years ago even early on in our church family, even early on in our church history, and Let's Go is is expanding our vision of going from our church for the city and to the world to take the gospel, continuing to go and go and go, and part of that is increasing our missions giving. Part of that is increasing our space here for children's ministry, for student ministry, for next generation things, things we care about a lot here, but we waited because we didn't want to just expand so we could say that our church is big. We didn't want to grow just so we could say that we're growing, so thankfully we have wise counsel of wise wise elders at the table, and we pumped the brakes for a while until we thought the time was right. So we had to ask ourselves the question: are we just driven or are we called? And by call, it didn't mean a feeling that we would have, like, you know, a little tingle feeling. Not that God can't do that, but we meant when we align with the scriptures, do we see that our hearts are driven in the right way by our calling? Rather than trying to force our calling into our drive. Meaning are we doing this for the glory and for the mission of God? And then we finally got to the point where we said, yeah, let's go forward with this. And then our church responded and saying, we're in too, we wanna see these things happen. So now we have to just regularly check our hearts to make sure they're driven by the gospel and not driven by ourselves. What is a called person? When you hear those words, a called person. We're not talking mystically here, even though that can be a thing talking about that shared calling we all have as Christians, a call to the Lord, a call to his mission, it means that your faith drives everything first. Like that's the catalyst for everything you do. Like you don't provide for your family, just provide for your family. You provide for your family because the scriptures call you to provide for your family. You operate as a father or a mother, not just because you have kids, now what? What do we do to survive? No, it's because you're driven by your calling to Christ and to his church. Every Christian is called to Christ. Every Christian is called to his mission. We all have the same big picture and calling, which means that no one in this room, not one Christian in this room, is doing anything insignificant right now. No one. There's nothing beneath you. You're not settling for anything like the world likes to tell you. If you're doing something for God and for his glory, what you are doing right now in your life, no matter what it is, is significant. So do not believe you have to arrive at significance, or your significant days are way behind you. Those are lies from the devil. Every person in this room has significance right now, and it means has nothing to do whatsoever on whose name is on your paycheck at the top. None. Those are things God's, God uses to help us participate by using our opportunities and our gifts and whatever it is He has us to for His kingdom. Mark Vance, a friend of mine, is a pastor of Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa, which is kind of the hub of the SALT Network, uh, and uh, they are reaching Iowa State University students as well as the city of Ames, Iowa, and at the conference uh, in Des Moines, SALT Network is the network we're a part of, our church is a part of, that plants churches in university cities across America, and by university cities, it means cities that have at least 10,000 college students. Uh, So Tallahassee, obviously, is a university city uh, based on that. And Mark was speaking to 5,000 college students from all of our churches. So kids from Syracuse, Oregon, uh, from Tallahassee, we went. From University of Florida, we didn't want them to go, but they went. Uh, uh, There's from, from all over the country. And here Mark has this moment, a significant moment, to have that pulpit and that microphone on in front of that many students who got into colleges, who are applying for grad school. Who have big internships lined up. Who have big, huge dreams and goals. A lot of them are from Iowa. They're from farming communities. And are the first people in their family to ever have gone to college. And Mark gets in the pulpit, and here's what he says to them. He says, the glory and mission of God is greater than any of the dreams I have for myself. Wow. And there's no false dichotomy there. He's not saying you can't have dreams for yourself you said, you know what's greater than that? The glory and mission of God. Imagine being 20 years old, 21 years old, and everyone else is telling you, you have unlimited potential. You go get them. As my nine-year-old says, you slay, queen. I don't know what that means, but that's what she says. <laughs> and here a pastor, trusted, respected pastor, stands in the pulpit in front of 5,000 in an arena and says, you know what, all those dreams are Great. I'm not discouraging you from them, but the glory and mission of God is better than all those things, and your decisions you make in your life should be based on those things. I have a friend who had the opportunity, because of his experience here politically, to really move up into a whole other realm and make a whole lot of money, like a whole lot of money, which there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God that he's up, giving people opportunities to make a whole lot of money. It's great and he said no, and the reason he said no was because he knew some of his weaknesses, and he just was really self-aware, and in that certain field that he was invited to go into, he was really terrified that he would be tempted to compromise in sexual sin, morally, just to keep it PG, in in, in that kind of world. Again, every Christian is not tempted that way. We need Christians in all of those spaces, but for him personally, He's committed to his wife and to his kids and to his church, and for him, knowing himself, he went, "I can't do this because I know what this world requires and what this world might have me do." It's going to be his choice, not the world's choice. He has to make his own decisions, but he knew where he was weak. So what did he do? He had a dream job. He said, "The glory and mission of God is greater than in this moment, this dream that I have for myself." That's called being wise. The world says you're crazy. And here he's saying, "For me personally, this is the wise decision to make as a follower of Christ, because that's what fuels my life. My life doesn't fuel God. God fuels my life." So what's a called person? What are we striving to be like Jesus? Called people value obedience over results. But again, that does not mean results are bad. Obedience is more important. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul, before he gets to 4, obviously, he says that we've been given a task, but it's God that makes things grow, that God's sovereignty is what drives all things, that there's also not a formula or a conference talk or a life hack or a routine or a podcast that can make God bless you. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1 tells us. So called people delight in the affirmation of God, not the response of the crowd, They delight in the affirmation of God, not the response of the crowd. Number two, called people focus on who they are becoming, not only what they are achieving. What we're becoming in our hearts, and that goes until the day you die. You have not arrived. If you've been following Jesus for 60 years, and now you're in your 80s, you have not arrived. We have a ton to learn from you, and we need you, but you have not arrived. We all need to still be growing, and still be becoming the goal of God, which is more like Jesus for us. The primary call in our lives is to become more like Jesus and fulfill his great commission in any way we do part. So often in work, we can live in rhythms and patterns that draw us away from the love of God into an obsession with just external results. And i say, well, you're a pastor. I'm tempted with that all the time. All the time. But who we become is more important than what we achieve. Do we really believe that? And if we don't believe that, it means that only a few Christians can actually claim to be successful. It was only done by what we achieve by the world's standards. And there's no context for that for our brothers and sisters who are in other places around the world that don't have a chance to be by our standards successful. And we know that this is important. We have disappointing encounters with people who on the outside, everything looks great externally. Then you get around them and you're like, man, that's one self-driven person. That is a self-obsessed person. He loves me some me, you know, kind of thing. See, called people worry about becoming more like Jesus and not simply doing things for him. And they don't have to be noticed because their faith is not a brand. And you're not a brand either. We are servants of God and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Jesus really cared about this. Listen to what he says. Be careful. So the savior of the world who loves us gives us those two words. Be careful careful that we should really pay attention when Jesus begins a sentence like that be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them otherwise you have no reward with your father in heaven because your reward was to be seen as righteous by others and guess what you got that reward he keeps going whenever you pray you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. What's their reward? By other folks, and guess what? They accomplished that. He says, but you, when you pray, there's an alternative here for the people of God, not the hypocrites. Go into your private room, shut your door, And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father he sees in secret will reward you. How will he reward you? By your heart being in tune with what he wants for your heart. What a great reward that is. Now this is actually liberating. For people that maybe feel a little guilty because you're not very good at praying out loud. Like you don't get asked to do the prayer at Thanksgiving. You know the guy who prays at Thanksgiving is always the one who like calls thunder down from heaven. Like, mom's crying at the end, you know, like that, that, that kind of stuff. It's like the food got blessed four times, you know, during the prayer. Well, here's the truth. God doesn't care about that. He's not concerned with how well you pray out loud. That's not a marker of spiritual maturity at all. It might just mean you're a good speaker off your feet. You know what honors God. Not the awesome prayer out loud. You know, there's a place for that, and we do need that in the family of God, people to lead us in that way. The person who goes in the room and shuts the door and prays by themselves, and nobody hears it but the Lord. So don't feel guilty if you don't like to pray out loud. That might actually be a sign of spiritual maturity if you're praying in secret, because how easy is it to pray out loud really nice prayers and then not pray at all outside of that? God says, I care about the heart. He doesn't want your quiet time to be a branding event. The perfect filter of your Bible and pictures and like, who are you doing that for? He wants you to be in his word. To be in prayer. To be in his church. He says this, when you fast, don't be gloomy, I love that word, gloomy. Like the hypocrites. And they really did this in the first century. For they disfigured their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, there it is again mission accomplished they have their reward everybody thinks they're spiritual but when you fast put oil on your head wash your face so your fasting isn't obvious to others but guess who knows about it your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you jesus cares about your heart doesn't doesn't he? don't you love to hear that i do Like, he cares not just about our performance, he cares more about our hearts. The third thing is, call people to see the bigger picture. They get God's doing something they might not realize right in the moment with their lives. They trust in his sovereignty. They can look uh, to something and say, wow, the kingdom of God is expanding, God's doing a work. And they realize that temporary wins are not the goal. They reject the world's mantra that says, you'll find joy when you do what makes you happy. Instead, they know they'll find joy when they do what makes God happy. Kristen Weatherall is a great author. She writes this. So can Christians be ambitious in a way that pleases God? Like, What's the tension there? How do we do this in a hustle kind of culture? She says, yes. Christ lived and died and resurrected to free us from bondage to selfish ambition and vanity, giving us a purpose beyond merely making ourselves comfortable, happy, rich, and well-liked. The glory of the Father was Christ's pursuit and it took him all the way to Calvary for your sake and for mine. And all this is that Jesus himself, Jesus would be our ultimate lasting pursuit and our most highest ambition. In other words, ambition is a great attribute. It's a terrible God. It is a great attribute. It's gonna help you out a lot in a lot of things in life. It's a terrible God. So yes, go after the opportunities you've been given, the situation you've been put in. Whatever you believe the calling is on your life, secondary calling in this moment, but be really careful for subtle leaks and subtle shifts into working for your own glory and it being all about you. Because here's what we gotta continue to remember in our day and age especially. you You don't get to use God for your purposes. He gets to use you for his you don't get to use God for your purposes. He uses you for his. He is not someone we tack on to our ambitions and dreams. He should drive them. Because Paul said in verse five, he's gonna bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts and then praise will come to each one from God. What a, you know what success looks like? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. And a Christian who is Homeless, to a Christian who is in prison in, the third, in, in a closed country, to the Christian that's influencing all kinds of people on their phone, to the person who's pastoring a church. That's what success looks like. To hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if that's not our goal, we're gonna leave a deeply dissatisfied life. Deeply dissatisfied. When those subtle shifts happen, and that leak happens of ambition and glory. And let me tell you what, it happens all the time in our city. Benton Road North, all the way past Trials High. It's a midlife crisis, capital of the world per capita. And now it's become even a quarter life crisis. Where people are trying to wreck their families, on and on and on. We don't reject that by condemning people. We reject that by pointing them to something better. Which is the glory of God being a part of God's family, letting him be your ambition, him being your worth. There's not more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. You don't have to go around God if all you're looking for in your life rather than write to him. Because the life you've always dreamed of, it's actually found in someone else's life. And it's not somebody who follows you on Instagram, it's Jesus Christ. His life is how you will navigate and persevere and endure through all of life's dreams that maybe didn't come to fruition for you. John Piper, being very pastoral here, he says, yes, occasionally weep over the life you hoped would be. Yeah. He says, grieve the losses. He goes, then wash your face. Trust God and embrace the life you have. Yeah, Sure. There's tears to be shed over life not working out as you thought it would. Maybe not based on anything you could control in somebody else's choices. Then you gotta wash your face. Trust God and embrace the life he's given you right now, intentionally, to be used for his glory and for his kingdom. And whatever the context it is, he's placed you in. I was in a, on a plane ride back from London. It's like so long. And I'm like really fidgety and all these things. I'm just like struggle busing. It's like walking laps around the plane. Not because I was trying to get my steps in, which that probably would have been good too, but I just needed to walk. So there's a guy reading his Bible towards the back of the plane. And I'm like, it's just like this thing with the pastor, it's like, hey, you know, kind of thing, when he's reading his Bible. And I, um, I just started making small talk with him. And he was from Scotland. And he's a church planter in Scotland. And he was flying to the United States for a wedding. Like, man, you got to really like that person to follow the way here for a wedding. So, um, there's like three people that passed that test for you, right? And uh, so we were, we were talking, and I said, So, man, what's, what's going on? And here, totally different context, totally different world. And I just wanted to hear, like, what's ministry look like? I know nothing about the church in Scotland. Like, what's the culture like? We're just having this conversation. And he was like, Man, you know, I couldn't believe he said this. I was just like, He goes, Honestly, we're just trying to help people see. There's more to life than two kids, a dog, a forever home, and plastic surgery. <laughs> he didn't say those things are wrong. He said there's more to life than those things. And for a lot of people, like, that kind of is all there is to life. So no wonder, once you arrive there, you have a midlife crisis, and you tap out, and you check out, and you're dissatisfied, you need something different, because all life was just kind of this. And then it happens, and... It's like, we want to help people know they're more to life, more to life than those things. In other words, you matter to God, so God should matter to you. Let's let his kingdom be our ambition. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that you give us second, third, 25th chances how often we stumble and fall. And probably the biggest area where we stumble and fall comes from something inside of us that wants to give glory to self. And our actions and choices usually are a result of that. So, Lord, we ask that you to work in our hearts, that you allow us to see that you really are better, that you allow us to humble ourselves and to seek the things of you over the things of this world. And we're thankful that there is grace for us over and over again, that grace abounds that all over this room are people who have received the grace of God. Lord, and I ask that they can have an understanding and realization and, and feeling of grace right now and realize the following you really is better than anything this world has to offer. So let us be ambitious ambitious for the one who is ambitious for us that came on a rescue mission to this world, earth to redeem us to yourself, to make a people, to build the church. Lord, I ask that we found faithful, that we'll define success by faithfulness to you and the other things you've given us to be able to pursue and to be able to provide for our families and that we'll see those things as blessings from you that lead us to worship, not ends in themselves. We ask you to be with our church and help us to be different and to care about you more than the things of this world. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.